Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. And I'm Arnie. And we've got a big show for you today. Brock is going to be with us a little bit later discussing the Essential Guide to Warfare. Nathan's going to be finishing his year-long look back at the Hasbro Comic Packs. And we've got a couple other special surprises in store this show, including a long-awaited review of Sideshow's premium format Stormtrooper statue. We think we got one. We think so. We'll get into that. First, the store report. Is that crickets? Yeah. You know, honestly, we started this entire podcast because I'm thinking, we go to the stores about five or six times a week looking for toys, and we can report on what we find and review the toys, and I still go to stores about five or six times a week, but I can't say I buy anything. It seems as if the stock is just stale. There's no movement in it. There's nothing new coming in. There's nothing going out. It's just there. I got all excited because we went to a Walmart that had all new vintage figures, and I'm like, is it more deleted scenes figures? Is it wave three? No, it's wave one again of this year. Great if I needed that Queen Amidala. I get into the habit now, and it's a behavior where I haven't seen something new in such a long time that I think what I'm seeing is new. (laughs) And our local Walmarts, I went to checking out more Dubacks and Vulture Droids. They were not on clearance at our store. So only the stores we went to last weekend in St. Louis were. But you know what? At least I'm happy because next weekend, May the 4th weekend, I know we're going to be buying some stuff or at least getting some stuff, maybe some of it free. Well, it's free comic book day on the 5th, so there's going to be some Star Wars comics. However, on the 4th, there might be some promos going on. We talked about this on our last show. Lego is offering a free TC-14, which is the most duplicitous of all the protocol droids, I think, (laughs) with a $75 or more Lego Star Wars purchase. This is good at Lego stores or shoplego.com. Shop.lego.com, I believe. So I will definitely be doing that. It is May 4th to 5th only. Those of you who like to risk it, you might be able to get the minifigure for less than $75. But me, I'd rather at least get 
Bird in the hand. And the Lego sets. It's always a good excuse to buy some Lego sets. And the Lego store online does not really overcharge. They're actually cheaper in most cases than Toys R Us. Lego seems to be consistently priced. Except at Toys R Us where it's a good few points higher. And for free comic book day on the 5th, Dark Horse is putting out a Star Wars comic starring Han and Chewie, as well as the crew of Serenity. If you flip the comic book over, it's a half Star Wars, half Serenity comic. That's probably going to make some people happy, I suppose. Does it have anything to do with the writer of the Star Wars Serenity? Because it's a Zach Whedon. And didn't Joss Whedon write Serenity? And Zach is his brother who Uh, also does a lot of his writing with him. They work together on Dr. Horrible, some other stuff. So, yeah, that may be the reason. Hey, I think Star Wars and Serenity is a far better matchup than some of the other comics that they've put at the back half of the Star Wars comic in the past. I remember around episode two, one of the first free comic book days, there was one that was just silly. I think it was a Clone Wars comic on one side, and it was like fluffy, happy bunnies on the other or something. I don't know. It was. I, I obviously read it cor- closely. But with nothing in stores, I have given up and headed again to ordering figures by the case. I know this is frustrating for a lot of people that collected and enjoy the store runs and all of that they just don't want to spend the money to get duplicate figures buying by the case or have to go through the shipping costs and all of that i know that people on facebook and the forums have been saying that if hasbro can't get the figures to stores they're not going to collect them me eh, i'll buy them online if i have to i always prefer to buy in stores i prefer the thrill of the hunt but with the way things are going again i went ahead and ordered a case of Wave 5 so I could have some good openers. I got those at Entertainment Earth. This actually was a great assortment for me, though, because everybody knows about Wedge. Wedge being a very hard-to-find figure. I got one Wedge last year from Brian's Toys, and I immediately put him in a star case <laughs> and in a box in the star case to be well-protected, but I always wanted an opener Wedge. Well, in the Wave 5 case... This is the case where Wedge ships again. You also get the Galen Merrick from The Force Unleashed, Shea Vizsla from The Old Republic, Darth Malgus from The Old Republic, who's going for crazy money on eBay, Oddball, and it's one of every figure in the case, so I'm doing pretty well there. Ironically, it does have that Luke Skywalker figure building his lightsaber that I bought at the toy show because I didn't think I'd be finding him. So he is a deleted scene figure that is in this wave as well. I guess I should be more patient. I've told you that. And that is expected to ship from Entertainment Earth in July, which means we could see these figures anywhere from June to never. (laughs) Now, if you're a carded variant collector, though, this wedge may not satiate you. You may actually have to go and buy another wedge because Brian's Toys and some other sites online did get Wedge in and started selling him again at a very reasonable price just for Wedge alone. But when you get the character, it is a different card back. And it reads Hasbro Canada, Hasbro Australia. Now, we already know there was a variant on the card back with the picture on the original shipment of Wedge. What they've done is this new Wedge is on a card back more in line with the 2012 line than the 2011 line. Hmm, that's going to be difficult for some people. Is it difficult for you? I am not a carded variant collector. But I could go myself and, nuts. And you're irrational at times. I'm going to keep whichever one, and I don't remember which one it is now, of my 2011s carded. 
and the 2012 one, I'm just going to open them. The card front's the same, it's just a card back difference, so I'm not going to stress over it, but I know some people who are out there, every variant of every figure, they are going to stress over it. And with more online ordering, Sideshow has announced a new line of Star Wars collectibles, and honestly, I'm kind of really cool with this. I cannot recall the last time we come on here and discussed a brand new line of collectibles. I think the last one was those freaky half-scale figures that Sideshow did. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of those. I'm not sure how I feel about these. It's almost like they're saying, well, we've kind of run out of things to make, so now we're going to go to things that really don't exist, and then you can make up your own stories. That's not quite what I read. This is the Star Wars Mythos line. And here's what Tom Gilliand, creative director of Sideshow, wrote on their webpage. The Star Wars universe is limitless with possibilities. It's mythology ever-expanding. Our art team wanted to contribute to that expansion by telling new stories about some of the most compelling Star Wars characters. With the encouragement of Lucasfilm, we created the Mythos line of statues. This line of collectibles will be populated by characters from new and existing storylines. We will bring history, unique details, and personal choices to each in order to elaborate on who they are. Through the design and sculpt process, our goal is to delve deeper into these established characters and offer our own interpretations of what they have done outside of the Star Wars canon. Our art team is taking the themes and core concepts common to the Star Wars mythology, such as love, honor, hope, despair, and adventure and accentuating those themes to achieve a collection of figures unlike any we've previously offered. Our vision is to portray moments in the imagined lifetimes of these characters and reveal them in a new way, in a new light. We hope to capture the imagination of Star Wars fans all over the world and share with them our own adventures in that galaxy far, far away. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I don't need the imagined life of Obi-Wan Kenobi. But... Here's how I take it. It's kind of like what Kotobukiya was doing with their line of statues where they did the demon Darth Maul, and they were looking at doing some of the others with the... But the demon Darth Maul had a very unique purpose and history behind it. This is just some guy deciding he wants to make Obi-Wan in his mid-50s. Yeah. No, not necessarily. I mean, it is some guy. It is an artist. Yes. And much like any art print or anything, this is a way to tell the characters in such a way that isn't screen accurate. So that people like myself and a little later on in this show won't be able to go, well, it wasn't like that in the movie. It gives them a way to bring movie characters back. And you said that they run out of ideas. I do think that maybe... I've said this before with mini lines, especially I seem to go back to the Gentle Giant minibus line. Once you've made the core characters enough times and in enough outfits, then you reach the point of, do you do upgrades to those? And people go, well, I already have a Luke. Or more specifically, I already have a Bespin Luke. Or do you go deeper into the character roster and people then say, why do I need Max Rebo? So you've got to find that happy medium. I think what Sideshow's stating here is that They're trying to find a way to bring core characters in a new way. Or maybe what they're saying here is, we really want to make Star Wars statues. General Giant has the exclusive license for Star Wars statues. But if we do non-canonical Star Wars statues, then we can get our own license. I just don't see, unless you're a big fan of that character, I can't imagine why you would spend a couple hundred dollars on 
some of these or something like this. I I guess I don't get it and it's not for me. It's not something I would collect. I'd probably support you collecting it because that's what I do. But I just don't see that. Why would I have this attachment to Desert Nomad Obi-Wan? For me, it very much will depend on the piece. And the two they're showing right now is Darth Maul, Dark Disciple, and Ben Kenobi, Desert Nomad. Now, I don't know how much these will cost, and I don't know how big they are. And those are two very important factors with any collectible. I mean, I'm looking at pictures of a Darth Maul statue. I'd guess it to be in the 8 to 12 inch range, but I have no way to know. It might be two feet tall, and it might be anywhere from 200 to to $1,000. I don't know. I'm, I would have liked to have said $100 to $1,000, <laughs> but nothing's $100 anymore. But I have to say, looking at it, I like the detail on that Darth Maul piece. I like what they've done with his outfit. I love the colors they've used on his body tones, the detail. The face is one of the best Darth Maul faces I've seen on a collectible. And it looks like there's switch-out portraits where you can get him teeth bared or lips pursed. I don't know if that's going to be two totally different statues, if it's going to be a swappable head, but... They do have both here. Maybe they just haven't decided which one they're going with, and they're showing us both. I like the piece. I don't like that he's holding a big stick. It looks like he's about to lead the cheerleading practice. It's like the spirit stick that he can't drop. He's got a baton. He has the double-bladed lightsaber in the other hand, but, yeah, he's holding it out. It's reminding me of Bring It On when Torrance is joking around and drops the spirit stick and has to dive after. That's what it looks like he's about to do is drop the spirit stick. And I think you just showed everybody something about yourself. Abandon the audience. I'm good at that. The next one... I don't know that I'm as on board with the Ben Kenobi Desert Nomad. The art has him with goggles on it. I really just wasn't a fan of spectacled Obi-Wan. But when I started looking at the statue itself, I'm really liking the face because they've done this great melding where when I look at it like with my right eye, it's Ewan McGregor old. When I look at it with my left eye, it's Alec Guinness young. But why do you need it? That's what I don't understand. Because if it really evokes an emotion of a character that I like and really strikes me, it's a nice thing. It's kind of like when we go through Artist Alley and we see a million prints. How do you decide which ones to get, which ones not to? It's the ones that speak to you. Now, what doesn't speak to me is when I look at the full statue and Obi-Wan, I've seen homeless people with less stuff on their back. It does appear to be homeless camp, Obi-Wan. Perhaps this is when he goes to the train station and plays a guitar for change. And he's got his lightsaber out. I'd think if he was mid-fight, he might drop the backpack for a moment. I would if it were me. I mean, on Mustafar, he took off the cloak. Yeah, very much with flourish as well. I have to see the painted one. So far, though, the Obi-Wan does not appeal to me. The Darth Maul would if it wasn't for the big spirit stick. But they have shown the next couple that they're bringing. They're teasing us with a Boba Fett a Darth Vader, and Lomrock the Gamorrean. Now, I don't believe Lomrock is an established canon one, but a Wikipedia search didn't show me anything, so we're getting our own custom Gamorrean. Again, the art on these pieces, not impressing me so much, but when I see the statues, when I go to their page with all the statues and they're kind of teasing us with them, I'll have to see. 
I could go for a cool Gamorrean statue. I think Gamorreans are underrepresented in my collection. But wouldn't you much rather have one that exists in the movies? Not really. No, I'd rather have one that looks cool. At this point, I've got so much that exists in the movies. It's nice to have something a little bit different. I mean, just last week you were talking about those Etsy metal sculptures, and none of those looked like what exists in the movies, but they were still very cool. I'm not even going to go there. I don't think I can argue this with you. Well, if you don't go for non-canonical statues, how do you feel about non-canonical action figures? Yeah, I'm not really a big fan of those either. Because it looks like we may be making a trip to Disney sometime soon, and I may be buying 25 new droids. I'm okay with you buying 25 droids. Because according to Jedi Temple Archives, the Orlando Sentinel has put in their paper a confirmed rumor that coming May 10th, just before Star Wars weekends, Tatooine traders at Disney's Hollywood Studios will have a droid factory, a build-your-own astromech droid activity, resulting in regular three-inch figures. So basically, when we were there last year after Comic-Con, what they had was a build-your-own lightsaber kit where they had the Hasbro kits, and you could build your own and pick the hilt and pick the color of the blade and everything. Well, now they're taking the droid factory parts that used to come with the three and three quarter inch figures and putting them in big bins so kids can build their own astromechs. And that would be fun. From the rumor list I'm reading, it looks like there are going to be 25 different astromechs you can make of different models and different colors. See, I'm okay with that because you built them. And, I mean, basically it's going to be, here's the red astromech body with an R5 red dome. Here's an astromech body with an R2 red dome. But you could, of course, get infinite if you wanted, say, blue legs with a red dome. But if you're like me, I figure R2's the blue droid. He's blue (laughs) everywhere. You know, Mace Windu's droid was purple everywhere. So I would mix and match to the way that just went with the colors rather than go real crazy and go, I could have... 500 new astromech droids, or whatever it is. <laughs> now, there's also another Disney rumor that just cropped up recently that the Disneyland Paris Park is going to get Star Wars Land, complete with an update to Star Tours 2, because they still have the original Star Tours 1 in Paris. They're currently the only place to still have the original Star Tours. They are going to take over the Captain EO Theater and perhaps make like a Jedi Training Academy like they have in the other parks. And then they're going to redo a pizza place into a cantina. These are rumors. There's nothing set in stone. No announcement has been made. A lot of people on a lot of the Disney blogs are saying, no, they can't do it because there's another big ride opening it before that. And this is all scheduled for 2015. So that'll be interesting to see. Perhaps we'll take a trip to Paris and go to Disneyland in Paris. For a day. People are rude at Disney World. The stereotype is that the French are rude. So, is it rude squared at French Disney? Well, I don't know. You'd have Americans there, and we're rude, too. That's true. We're ugly Ugly Americans, rude French people, and then throw them all in an amusement park together. What's going to happen? Wow, that sounds fun. (laughs) No offense to our French listeners, or our French-Canadian listeners. Well, with these astromechs, I may need to find time to sneak into Disney for a day while we're at Celebration and build all these droids. Although that would be a terrible time. I have to do it before Celebration so that I can actually get the droid parts. (laughs) That's true. Disney never runs out of anything. They were really hard to get those Star Tours figures I wanted last time, though, if you recall. They had to go back. That was Disneyland, not Disney World. True, true. That's different. Well, it would be a magical day. And then over at Star Wars Action News sponsor Brian's Toys, they have 
in stock, ready to ship, vintage style, wave 12 or wave 3 of this year. It's all very confusing. This is the one that has a 501st clone, Isla Sakura, the realistically styled Clone Wars Anakin, Darth Vader from A New Hope, Dr. Evazan, Kithaba, Hoth Luke, and Naminor. That is in stock, ready to ship, and if you use coupon code SHIPITFREE, you get free shipping on orders $50 and up, or if you're international, 20% off shipping. And if you need that Luke figure I was talking about earlier, he has reduced the price on that to $11.99, which is less than I paid for it when I was at the Toy Man Toy Show a couple weeks ago. This is the deleted scenes Luke lightsaber construction figure. Everyone else thanks you. Yes, yes. If you listen to Marvelicious Toys, you know I am the cooler where once I pay a exorbitant price, people get it cheaper and find it in stores. They do. Yeah. You're awesome that way. Also over at Brian's Toys, they have a little bit of a warning tale, a little bit of a cautionary tale for anyone who owns the Sideshow General Grievous premium format. We've talked about this on the show several times. About He poked me in the eye. He poked you in the eye, although there was no lasting damage. That we know of. There could be. I still, I don't know that I will ever forget assembling it on that hot summer night and just Rescue Me was on TV and I was trying to get this thing built and I was just so stressed. It was, oh, I was just a miserable, miserable time. It was like diffusing a bomb and having somebody talk to you on a headset and telling you which wire to cut. It was hot. We're sweating. We're trying not to sweat on the figure. You're stressed. You're yelling at me. You're snippy because you're trying to put this figure together that didn't come with instructions on how to put it together. He's fragile. He poked me in the eye. I just did not enjoy that night. Thank God for Mark Darth Cheddar, who is the one who put him back in his box when we had to move last fall. But Brian's Toys is selling a broken Grievous, and it's the exclusive version with the cape, which is very expensive on eBay. And the cape is very nice. It is, but I just found it interesting to read the list of what was broken, because usually you see some damaged items. It's cracked leg or missing finger. This one, number one, the fingers on three of four arms are broken. So that means three out of four hands did not make it. Number two, a lightsaber is broken. Okay, I could see how that would happen. Very possible. Number three, the back of Grievous' right leg is broken, but still attached. Number four, one arm is broken off. Number five, comes with exclusive cape. They believe this item can be repaired, but man, this just made me think there but for the grace of luck, go Grievous. (laughs) It is a cautionary tale. He he feels fragile, and he just looks fragile, so I'd suggest being careful with him if you ever get him. This would be great if I opened mine up and found he was broken, though. Or if you had the non-exclusive version, you wanted the exclusive one, you'd get the exclusive box, the exclusive cape, and then be able to mix and match a perfect Grievous. And remember, when checking out at Brian's Toys, to tell them you were referred to them by Star Wars Action News. And we'll be back after this. Here with a mission, sir. I am. Trying to get me back in the world. Trying to save it. On May 4th, the most ambitious comic book movie of all times hits theaters. The Avengers. You think you're the only superhero in the world? You've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. 
Now you can join Arnie, Jacob, and Stuart each week at NowPlayingPodcast.com as they watch and review all the Marvel films. Guys, I'm bringing the party to you. Iron Man. Yeah, I can fly. Captain America. I knocked that Adolf Hitler over 200 times. Thor. You're big. Fought bigger. The Incredible Hulk. Dr. Banner, your work is unparalleled, and I'm a huge fan of the way you lose control and turn into an enormous green rage monster. Ending with a weekend of release review of The Avengers this May. How do we do this? As a team. You can find it all at nowplayingpodcast.com. Any last words? Next up, we have Nathan and his final segment about the Hasbro comic packs. Hello, Star Wars Action News listeners. This is Nathan P. Butler of StarWarsFanWorks.com and, I guess, technically the comic pack series, bringing you Expanding the Universe, your EU special report. This is the final segment in our seven-part look at those Hasbro comic packs. The line began in 2007, and we've tracked it through the end of 2009's product line thus far. Now, let's tackle the final year of the packs, 2010. 2010 starts out odd the moment one begins to investigate it, because every one of the comic packs this year was an exclusive of some kind. Each year thus far, we've seen exclusives available at Walmart. This trend continued in the line's final year, so we'll start there. The Walmart packs this year dipped back into familiar territory with packs from Star Wars Tales and the X-Wing comics. The Tales pack took a unique twist this time. The previous two Tales packs from issues 21 and 22 came from issues released during Jeremy Barlow's tenure as editor of the series, after its conceptual revamping into a series that was more focused on longer stories and definitive notations as to whether a story was or wasn't in continuity. This one instead came from the Dave Land era of the series, notoriously the most ambiguous in terms of continuity and approach to continuity. This was issue number four. Again, only one story is reprinted. This time it's Sandblasted, featuring Dark Forces antagonist Rom Mock and the droid IG-97. For the X-Wing issues this year, Hasbro mixed things up a tad. The first came from the first issue of X-Wing Rogue Squadron, the original X-Wing series, and featured pilots Plur Ilo and Dlur Nep. The second X-Wing pack came from a later follow-up series, still X-Wing, but X-Wing Rogue Leader, rather than Rogue Squadron, and it featured the black-clad Imperial Storm Commando and Storm Commando Commander General Weir. The X-Wing packs were also varied in that the former was an online exclusive, while the latter was available in stores, both through Walmart, though, from my understanding of this year's releases. Another pair of comic packs came in the form of convention exclusives. From Celebration 5, we had Star Wars Empire No. 8, Darklighter Part 1, featuring infamous cutscene characters Cammy and Fixer. Fixer is more properly known as Lays Loniosner. No, I'm not kidding. And interestingly, the EU often gives Cammy that same surname, since she did marry Fixer, but the Darklighter story predates their marriage, so her name on the figure is her maiden name, Marstamp. 
As an interesting side note, by the way, the actor who played Fixer, Anthony Forrest, spent several years attempting to convince Dark Horse to publish a comic that he co-wrote on his own, From the Shadow of Twin Sons, featuring Fixer. Dark Horse never picked it up, despite Forrest and his collaborator having a mock-up cover they showed at some conventions. Just like everyone else, even someone like Anthony Forrest has to be invited to the party and can't submit unsolicited stuff. 2010's San Diego Comic Con brought us another pack. This one has been made a bit more intriguing by the Clone Wars cartoon series recently. It was based on the mostly Infinity's anthology comic Visionaries, and like with Star Wars Tales, it featured only one story from that anthology, entitled Old Wounds. The story featured the return of a longer-horned Darth Maul with a cybernetic lower half, who faces off with Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is then warned off by Owen Lars. The cybernetic Maul and Owen, not Obi-Wan, became the figures of the tale. And while not in continuity, the recent return of Maul in the Clone Wars has sparked renewed fan interest in this Infinities pack. The final round of comic packs that nearly didn't get produced came through Entertainment Earth, who, as you may recall, was one of the parties who released the original Crimson Empire comic pack when this all began. As the packs came full circle, four were released through Entertainment Earth. The first featured the comic series Knights of the Old Republic with its sixth issue, the final part of the initial commencement storyline. Rather than featuring the lead character in the series, Zane Carrick, this one featured his companion, Jeriel, and the mysterious KOTOR-era Mandalorian, Roland Dyer. We again leaped from one extreme to another, from the KOTOR era back into the Legacy era for a final Legacy comic pack, this time featuring issue number seven, the final part of the initial storyline entitled Broken. The pack featured Kate Skywalker's love interest, the Zeltron Delia Blue, and the Nagai Sith known as Darth Nil, not to be confused with Darth Nihilus of the KOTOR games. And I think we just went full circle again somehow. KOTOR to Legacy to a KOTOR reference. Yeah. There were two more dips into familiar territory that'll round us out here. A final X-Wing Rogue Squadron comic pack brought us issue 29, Masquerade Part 2, featuring another figure of Baron Soontir Fell, an X-Wing comic and novel big bad, Isan Iceheart Isard one of the few female Imperial villains, or uh, villainesses, to grace the action figure assortment. Finally, what toy line would be complete without a couple more Mandalorians? The last pack to mention here comes from the second issue of Jango Fett Open Seasons, which was the comic that provided the backstory for Jango Fett and the connection between Jango Fett, and thus his clone son, Boba Fett, and Jaster Mareel, Jango's mentor, whose name was originally said to be Boba's real moniker. Appropriately enough, this pack included rather stylistically intriguing figures of Django and Jaster, complete with chestplate symbols and capes that would make Lando Calrissian proud. It's been a long road. Over seven segments, we've tackled the entire comic pack line. So let's give it a quick review. By the numbers. Overall, there were 63 comic packs, but 6 were reissues of previous packs, giving us 57 unique packs. Of those 57, 10 came from the Marvel series, while another 10 came from Republic. These two truly dominated the line. Empire emerged with 6 packs, while the same could also be said for the X-Wing comics, but only if we count Rogue Leader in with Rogue Squadron. We had 8 that were film adaptation comics, 4 packs from the comic series Legacy, 
three from Star Wars Tales, and a pair each from Heir to the Empire and the Infinities comic line. Three packs, including the aforementioned Heir to the Empire packs, were based on comic adaptations of Star Wars novels. Of the figures themselves, Luke appeared six times, not counting reissues, while Daddy Anakin appeared three times more man than machine, and then another four times as Vader, more machine than man, although two of those Vader figures were Infinities, including one in white armor, which was stunning. Leia appeared four times, half of those as Infinities, each time alongside an Infinities Vader. And yes, technically you could add one more to the Luke and Leia tallies, because they did show up as teeny tiny babies. Despite the popularity of the characters, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Quinlan Voss only received two figures each, the same number as the much lesser-known Soon-Tier Fell and Dina Shan. Finally, in terms of classifications of figures, we ended up with three Ewoks, and really, that was more than enough, right? Three Imperial Knights, three Legacy-era Sith Lords from the One Sith, not counting Asherod Het before he became Darth Krayt, four Rebels in Stormtrooper disguises, and six Rebels in Imperial disguises overall, six Mandalorians from various eras, four Imperial-era Stormtrooper variants, and a whopping ten different Clone Wars-era clone troopers. Could the line have been more varied? Probably. Would it have been nice and sometimes more collectible if some of those repeated lines had perhaps focused on complete comic storylines to go with the figures to draw in more EU readers into figure collecting instead of random issues? Yeah, most likely. Still, though, this reinvigoration of the two-figures-one-comic concept from the 1996 Shadows of the Empire line proved to be a wonderful bridge between expanded universe collectors and figure collectors and I'm happy to have been a small part of that legacy. Here's hoping the line emerges again someday. Now, with our series complete, back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Nathan. Now, just a few weeks ago, the latest in the Essential Guide series of books from Delray came out. This time it's The Essential Guide to Warfare. I did pick that up, but have not yet had a chance to go through it with much detail. So here is Brock with a review of that new book. This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison with a review of Star Wars, The Essential Guide to Warfare by Jason Fry with Paul S. Urquhart. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books. The Essential Guide to Warfare, like the other Essential Guides, provides a quick way to catch up on a great amount of EU in an entertaining, condensed, and fast way. As soon as I cracked this book open, I was immediately impressed by what I saw. The layout is clean, and this book is fully illustrated with some remarkable artwork. More on that later. This book is so chock full of information that eventually I realized I was reading too much in one sitting because I wasn't retaining all of it. It was going in one eye and out the other. And being a reference book, while you certainly can read this straight through cover to cover, it is designed in such a way that you can read a quick page or two here and there. Flip to a random page and check out the info. The book smartly finds a variety of ways to convey its information. Most of it is in general prose that summarizes the galactic battle history. 
I can't say for certain, but it seems there is no doubt most, if not all, of this history spanning from the Old Republic through the Legacy Comics era was painstakingly researched and summarized from countless numbers of comic books, novels, and other EU sources, a lot of which I haven't read or read more than once. I did enjoy reading interpretations of battles and events that I am familiar with to see how it was presented. I was particularly impressed that they included a full summary of the recently concluded Fate of the Jedi novel series, on just half a page, no less. And it was really cool to see an artist's rendering of Abeloth on the accompanying page. I had not seen any of her before. In addition to the prose, there are highlighted boxes of supplementary information. There are sidebars and sections that run a gamut of topics, from illustrated profiles of the different kinds of land vehicles, battle droids, and starships of the era being discussed, to pages of fighter pilot slang, the varied Imperial rank insignias, and there are also many biographies of certain key military figures. Some examples. There is a subchapter on how the Imperial Army breaks down its complements of troops, like how many troopers are in a squad or a battalion, that sort of thing. There is one on the history of the Jedi lightsaber, and I did enjoy the illustration of the early Jedi lightsaber that was plugged into a separate power pack by a cord. <laughs> and the rise of Tarkin, I felt, was a good example of when a book sidebar formatting worked for me. He's a character I'm familiar with, but I don't know his backstory well, so I was engaged reading that character profile. It was a strong decision to highlight and present this sort of information in smaller, digestible chunks alongside the general summary of the warfare. And in these boxes and sidebars, they sometimes convey information in the form of first-person narrative, presenting them as transcripts of correspondence or excerpts from memoirs, that sort of thing. Straight away at the top of the book, as the book's prologue, is a first-person account taken from the final statement of the Imperial Grand Admiral Oswald Teshik before he was executed for war crimes by the Republic after the Battle of Endor. And that was an incredibly entertaining read. There is the equivalent of an email summarizing Han Solo's Imperial military career. And the most notable other example of a first-person account that I noticed is a handwritten letter by Ahsoka Tano. And on that page in the book, and you can check this out on the advanced feed or on our webpage, they mocked up the page to look like pieces of paper and the font to look like handwriting. These first-person accounts are a clever way to put across the information and helps vary up the presentation. The book is evenly spaced between the eras, although I do think they fast-forward through a lot of the EU post-original trilogy. And same for the Clone Wars, but... Come on, they should probably do an essential guide to the Clone Wars after the cartoon is over. They'd be crazy not to. When returning to the book, I kept finding myself returning to the original trilogy sections. There's something about reading a summary of things you are so familiar with that is kind of comforting. In parts of the book where I found myself not as familiar with the material, I kind of felt it was, for lack of a better term, it was made up. Now I realize this entire universe is made up. It's an all-fictional universe. Yes, I'm well aware. Save your emails. But you might know what I mean. It felt that way to me because I was unfamiliar with it, that material. Like the other guides in the Essential series, the real standout of this book, the thing that makes it flip-through worthy, is all the artwork. And once again, the artwork is worth the price of the book alone. This book is an incredible value at $30. Paintings of Darth Vader, renderings of Admiral Akbar and Wedge Antilles. There is one of Lumaya, of Jedi Farfalla, 
one of Darth Bane with his crab armor all over him and his apprentice Xana during a key battle in one of their EU novels. We also get a couple of shots of human-looking Ahsoka Tano, not cartoon-looking Ahsoka Tano. I found those pictures kind of fun. And some great ones of the Vujan Vong and of their coral skippers and other vehicles. Just spectacular renderings of characters both familiar and non. And with over 10 different artists contributing, the variety of styles and technique also help keep it fresh. They also have a lot of illustrations of battleships, different sizes, and a lot of them look like CG renderings of ships. I was surprised how much I did not mind that. The ships look great, and it shows a lot of detail because of their rendering. In addition, they have pages that look like they were taken out of the Essential Atlas, where they show where the battlegrounds were across the galaxy. And that helps provide scope by how much ground this warfare has covered over the many years. While I liked a great deal of the amazing artwork by these incredibly talented artists, I have to say I was not a fan of all of the artwork in this book. Of course, taste and art is subjective, but specifically speaking, there are pieces in here that look like photographs were scanned in and then played with, blurred out around the edges, perhaps overlaid with a hologram or a ship cockpit, what have you, and those just did not work for me at all. In fact, it reminded me of those canvas photo offers that you're always seeing on Groupon, where they offer to convert a family photo to look like a painting. And on top of not liking the artistic style of these prints, a big reason I didn't like them is because they use such familiar poses and headshots of the cast. From promo shots we have seen for over 30 years now on everything from trading cards and stickers to storybooks to the size of lunchboxes. If you're going to use a photograph as a reference, or even actually use the photos themselves like it seems some did, at least pick less well-known sources. And I acknowledge this is a reference book that only has so much space covering a lot of ground quickly, and if you want to know more, you can read the source material. But I do feel this book recounted battles too generally. For example, in the profile of the Vong Coral Skipper, their X-Wing type ship, they mentioned that its, quote, shielding capabilities are inconsistent and how the enemy developed several ways to penetrate them, end quote. But that was it. They don't go into how that shielding was generated or how the enemies penetrated it. Now, I know some of these answers already because I read those books, and all that may be covered in The Essential Guide to Weapons and Technology, but I was still put off a bit on how general some of these descriptions were. And while we do get some war stories and how the generals and admirals won their victories at certain battles, like how Lando won the Battle of Tanan, and there's actually a great section called Thrawn Strategy that basically summarizes his moves in the Thrawn trilogy, focusing on describing the steps of his master plans. But there wasn't enough of that. That is exactly what I thought this book could use more of. Military strategy, from what I understand, is a big part of warfare and can be often fun to read about in the EU. And it was a large part of the New Jedi Order, for example, since our heroes were fighting weapons and technology they were completely unfamiliar with. Who knows, perhaps they're planning an essential guide to military strategy next. The Star Wars Essential Guide to Warfare is a wonderful reference book full of great information and artwork that helps summarize the vast amounts of EU out there presented in a style that is fairly accessible to the reader. It goes over the material quickly and efficiently, and it allows for some great hours of fun reading. Is the Essential Guide to Warfare an essential part of every fan Star Wars bookshelf? No. No, it is not. But if you're a Star Wars fan or a Star Wars book collector, and you do get a copy of this book, you should not be disappointed. Even though it is not my favorite entry in the Essential Guide series, I acknowledge there is plenty here to be happy about. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club. This is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie.
Thank you, Brock. And now, after much ado and many returns, not necessarily many happy returns, just many returns. Yeah, we finally have our Sideshow Premium Format Stormtrooper figure. For those who have been following along at home, the first Stormtrooper figure I got, the base was crushed, and I couldn't figure out how to attach the thermal detonator, and the people at Sideshow, I sent them pictures, they couldn't figure it out. They ended up sending me a new one. So I got my new one, and the leg was broken as soon as I opened it. I saw it snapped off at the knee. And so I emailed Sideshow, I'm like, eh, strike two. And they're saying, well, we're out of Stormtroopers, we can either refund your money or you can wait for the boat. I waited for the boat. The boat? (laughs) You waited for the boat. And this past week, in came Stormtrooper body number three. And I swear to God, at first I thought it was going to have to go back again. I opened it up. First of all, this thing is a combination of soft goods and molded polystone and plastics, like all Sideshow Premium Format figures. The leather neck piece that goes under the helmet was completely detached and just sitting up there, and as the armor is not removable off the body, I had a bugger of a time getting that tucked back under in a way that looked right. And I'm comparing it to the broken body I had lying around. I'm like, on the broken body, it looked perfect. Or on this one, it looks terrible. And it took me a good 15 minutes of very careful tucking and pushing to get that leather down under there. So I'm guessing that your anger level is kind of increasing at this point. I was getting pretty frustrated, and then as I'm doing this, I notice marks all over the body. Now, the first time they replaced my Stormtrooper, they sent me an entire new premium format. They sent me a shipping label. They took back the old Stormtrooper, sent me a new one. This time they were sending just the body. So that means no hands, no head, no base, no gun, no thermal detonator, no belt. Well, because they're setting it in a special package, they just basically had some special molded plastic around him. And I'm like, God, did they scratch him? Because the plastic seemed to be in a material similar to like a Walmart bag, the little plastic bag. I really looked like he had just the crap scratched out of him when I got him. Turned out there was just schmutz, for lack of a better word, all over him that a damp cloth would not remove, but a little bit of finger grease did. Just rubbing it. You mean elbow grease? No, finger grease. Literally taking my thumb and just rubbing the stormtrooper repeatedly with my thumb until finally it came off and was all white. It was fine. So after many worrisome moments, I found a stormtrooper that is acceptable. I am not returning the stormtrooper. Yay! I'm happy about that. And I have to say, a stormtrooper is an overdue addition to the premium format line. I mean, in what world do we get Asajj Ventress... Before we get a stormtrooper. Yeah, that doesn't seem right, does it? This is your standard what you do. If you're going to make Star Wars line of things, there are certain ones you have to do right off the bat. Yeah, I would think the stormtrooper would be high up there. But this one took a while, and I'm really happy to be adding him. There was a period of time early on where I was a completist in the premium format line of figures. Then they started getting pretty obscure with some of them, and I'm like, maybe I'll just wait. And while I was a completist, it was always a let's wait and see if it goes cheaper on eBay type of completism, not a I order it directly from Sideshow every time completism. But when they came out with a Stormtrooper, I knew that was one I didn't want to wait on. I wanted it out in my collection as quickly as I could. That said, I'm really happy to have him, but... Owning quite a few Sideshow Premium Format statues, I have to say, 
and I don't say this lightly, this is the worst one I own. That's surprising to hear from you because you're a big fan of these. I am, and it's very good. Don't get me wrong. It is really good. So if the worst is really good, that's a good thing. But I just think for $300 plus shipping, so about 330 shipped, I shouldn't sit here and look at it and go, well, that's not very good, and that's not very good. If I stand several yards away from it and I look at it on a shelf across a room, it looks great. But when I get up close and start to examine it, it's just not a well-done piece. It is just not made to the standards that I have come to expect from a sideshow collectible. Well, what don't you like about it? First of all, there's the body armor, which is this white kind of polystone. And I just have noticed on all of them that there are a lot of molding flaws in various points in the armor. It just isn't the kind of smooth, perfect, plasticky armor that they wore in the movie. Now, if I was getting an FX Collectibles Elite Edition prop where it is exactingly like the one on screen with every flaw, that would be one thing. But that's not how this was marketed. This was marketed as a Stormtrooper, and I'm noticing all kinds of flaws in the armor, and they're different from Stormtrooper to Stormtrooper. I've had three bodies here now, and each one has different points, but all of them have some points in the armor where I just look at it and I'm like, that's not very smooth. That's not very glossy. It's just inconsistently made in the armor. And see, I didn't see the others because it was a, well, it's another broken one, and you packed it up and sent it off, so I didn't get to see those, so I didn't have the unique perspective on that. The next thing is the paint. I just don't feel the lines of the paint are very clean on it, especially on the helmet. If you look at under the chin or the lines on the back of the head, there's just places where the paint looks like it bled a little bit, which is fine on a Hasbro figure. It's what I expect on a Hasbro figure. It's like someone with a wobbly hand painted some of it, is yeah. what it looks like. It's, the Chinese not, factory did not go up to its They're standards. just not crisp and clean like yeah. you expect and are used to. Yeah, exactly. I do like the detail on the boots where they're a little bit worn, a little bit dirty. I mean, there's a reason you don't wear white after Labor Day, and it's because <laughs> it's going to look like the Stormtrooper's boot. <laughs> Oh, you're so silly. No, it does look really nice. I wish there were a fabric. Like, he's got the leather cowl and, like, where the joints are, you know, you feel his little unitard. I wish these were leathery because it would have made that effect a lot better. Maybe because it's the feet, they weren't able to do actual leather there. But they did a great replica of it. I think they did a real good job there. The other thing I don't necessarily like is how the belt attaches to the body. First of all, it was a bear to attach. It just... It's... The polystone front belt or plastic front belt that has to go right against the hard body. And it was really tricky to try to fit there. And it it goes on like a cummerbund. And you really have to get it tight and on there right for the Velcro in the back to attach. I think that that piece would have been better either molded on or attached at the factory. And then the cloth on the back half of the belt is a really silly-looking Joanne Fabrics pickup kind of cloth. It does not match the rest. It sticks out as, this is cloth. It looks like a bad custom once you get past the halfway point. You're right. It doesn't look good at all. It just it doesn't look like it's made to fit necessarily right, and they probably couldn't because you still have to get your fingers in there to fasten it. Well, theoretically, you shouldn't have to get your fingers in there to fasten it because it's Velcro, and you could just pull and push and But it doesn't it. look like it fits well is the problem. It's made worse by the thermal detonator on the back. Now, first of all, 
much like you mentioned earlier with the General Grievous, no instructions with the Stormtrooper. So I kept thinking that the thermal detonator is supposed to go into the armor, and there's a little gap right above his butt where you can fit one of the two tabs. And I'm like trying to fit in one of the tabs, then slide it over and fit in the other tab, because the metal clasps on the thermal detonator look really bad. They just are utilitarian chrome tabs. I would expect for what you paid for this that these would be better because it really just looks like cheap tabs. Yeah, I thought that those tabs would be completely hidden in the actual polystone armor. I finally had to get online and look at the pictures at Sideshow.com and go, oh, you mean I'm just supposed to tuck it into that cloth belt? Hmm. Oh, and I sent pictures to Sideshow and said, this doesn't fit. And they go, okay, we'll send you a new one. They didn't say, you're not supposed to put it in the statue. You're supposed to put it on the belt. Again, I sent photographs. <laughs> You'd think one of them would go, that's not how it is. Maybe they didn't have a stormtrooper for reference. Maybe it, too, was on a boat. And when I put that on, it was about 10 minutes of me trying because it goes right where the Velcro clasp is. You can't attach the belt, and then put it on. It makes no sense for these tabs to go there because at the bottom of the tabs, it digs out about 45 degrees. So if it was completely flat and I were to attach the belt and then just slide it straight down, that would be fine. But now, as I tighten the belt and then try to put it in, it's going to leave two gouges in the Stormtrooper body as I slide it. So I have to put it on with the belt unfastened, then try to work my fingers in there behind the thermal detonator to fasten the Velcro all at the same time. It was a frustrating experience, and in the end, it does make the belt just look a little too loose. I kind of thought he looked better without the thermal detonator, but then he's not screen accurate. <laughs> I told you I'd say it later in the show. From the front, it looks okay, though, the belt. Yeah. It's it when you get in the back that... It doesn't look so great. The belt also has, and this is screen accurate, a couple of, like, wobbly pouches on the side. I don't know if that's where he keeps his PDA and his 1980s Zach Morris cell phone, but those were kind of hard to position, too. And they're in a plastic that doesn't quite match the white of the rest of the Stormtrooper. But it's a thing on a belt. Maybe it shouldn't match exactly. And finally, his hands were really tough to get in. They're held in magnetically. One hand is molded to hold the gun, so you cannot remove the gun from his hand. The other hand is supposed to hold the gun. It was really tricky to get both hands in. It involved putting one hand in halfway, then the other one, and then pushing them back. And I don't want to force it because it's a solid material. It's not bendable in any way. But it's like the gun is resting too high in the hand there, and I just can't get the gun to rest in a way that looks natural. No, it's just like they don't want to jive together to make it look like he's actually holding the gun. And it kind of makes it look like it's an action pose, like he's putting it in his hand to fire. Yeah, and maybe that's what they were going for, but it's just... And I don't want to force it, so I don't want to mess with it. Exactly, exactly. Given the history, I'm afraid to even look at him, I'll be honest. <laughs> I'll never touch him, just so you know. I was very, very tempted to return him for a refund after my third one. Really? I really was. And that's hard for you. I know you usually don't do things like that. I just was looking at him and going, I paid three hundred dollars and three hundred and thirty shipped for this, and I'm not happy with the quality of this piece. And after having three of them, I don't think it's a one off defect. I think this is indicative of the quality of this piece and 
Maybe that's why it took so long for a stormtrooper to come out. Maybe they kept going, let's make the stormtrooper. Oh, it looks like crap. Okay, let's try again on the stormtrooper. Still looks like crap. And finally, they reached a point where they're like, we have to do a stormtrooper. It looks better than the one we did in 2005. Let's do the stormtrooper. That's kind of the only reason I'm keeping it, though, is because I feel like I've got enough premium format statues. I want a stormtrooper, but Sideshow, I know you can do better. I own so much Sideshow items, and I just think this one, you whiffed. You just, I maybe it's because it's a stormtrooper, and it should be so iconic that it should be given the level of exquisite detail you put on your Darth Vader and on the clone trooper, but... I just feel like here there's enough wrong with it. And it's stuff that jumps out at me that I think that you have to know what you're getting going in. And I'm used to getting a higher level of quality from them. And I still see some schmutz on them I got to go rub off. It's very frustrating piece. And it was very, very close of me just throwing up my hands and saying, screw it, I'm taking it back. But no, I'm going to keep him, I'm going to put him on the shelf, and I'm just going to realize, you know, anytime you do a full line, there's going to be some pieces that are better than others. It's just a shame that something as iconic and original trilogy as a Stormtrooper couldn't be there. But that's where I'm hemming and hawing. It's like, if I know they're going to do a better one later, I'd rather just have the better one. But who knows if they'll do a better one later. Stormtrooper in the hand. I will give them props for silk screening the bottom of the base. Nobody's ever going to see it. But it's the nicest base bottom I've ever seen. It's the Death Star. No, underneath. Oh, underneath? Yeah, like I said, nobody's ever going to see it. Oh, you mean the bottom bottom yeah. bottom. Okay, I thought you meant the base base. No. Okay, I got it. Well, but mostly they come out with great product. This is very unusual for you to not like something like this. And here's the thing is, I like it. And perhaps I wouldn't nitpick it so much if it were something i pick up on eBay. Because, you know, when you get something on eBay, usually it's sold out everywhere else. And you have to be a little bit less exacting because it's often been displayed in somebody else's collection and things. I feel like I'm getting from Sideshow the type of product that I'd normally get secondhand. And I realize maybe I've just set the bar too high for them. Maybe I love their product so much that I'm idealizing what they can do, and this is beyond it. But I this is just the first Sideshow piece I've gotten where I just don't look at it and just go, wow, I cannot believe how good this is. Uh, looking at it, I'm like, wow, I cannot believe they didn't go that extra step, that extra mile. If this were an evaluation report on a scale of one to five, I'd give it a three. And I got a really question spending $330 on a three. But that's meets expectations. Yeah, You're I not going to fire somebody for getting a three. <laughs> you're just not going to give them as big of a raise as they'd get if they got the four or you're the right five. You're where you should be. You're performing where I expect you. Yeah, maybe it's it's a three overall with a few areas of twos where, you know, there's some things they could work on for next year if they want to improve. They're not getting a promotion out of this. <laughs> and you pointed out the knee pad is kind of off. It just doesn't, it sticks out way too far. And the first thing I thought since we were just talking about Grievous was, oh, that's going to break. Yeah, very well could. I'm surprised on zero of three did I get a broken knee pad. Yeah, it just looks like it's very fragile. It just doesn't jive right. Something about him is just not right. I can't figure out what's not right about him. I will say there are some things I really like about him. First of all, the unitard or the body sock. You called it a unitard, and I find that funny. They did a great job of that. I've gotten to break mine apart because when you don't ship an item back, they have you actually smash it. Weirdly, they do not just have a body that this goes over. This is piece by piece body sock. 
So when oh, I break it off at the leg, that's odd. Yeah, that leg has its own glued-on body sock. It creates a great look. There's no place where it's bunched up or anything. Whenever you see through the armor, I love that they made it cloth because it's more realistic than if they just painted black. And I love how that cloth looks. It looks perfect. I love the leather on the neck once I finally got it tucked. I like that it wrinkles a little. I like the mixed media presentation that they give. I've always found the Stormtrooper's gun holster to be a little bit silly because it's oversized because their guns are so dang big. And here, you actually could put a gun in it, except the gun doesn't come out of his hand. But I, again, like the mixed media there. I just wish they hadn't mixed that media so much on the side of the belt. I like that the head is in such a way that you can actually swivel it. You can turn his head any way you want. They mentioned last year at San Diego Comic-Con that future premium formats, they're talking about the C-3PO and the R2-D2, are going to have even more articulation, which is going back to their older premium format figures. The Han and Luke I have from their early waves, very poseable. Well, all right, poseable. There's like wires in them (laughs) that you can bend ever so slightly. This is a statue. You cannot do anything to his body, but you can rotate the head, which I kind of like. I like being able to have him look various directions, even though his gun only points one way. I love the details of the gun. The gun has different colors in it. You can see in the gun where the chamber is, and it's a different color. There are a lot of fine details here. I do not want to give people the impression that this is a piece of junk. Again, it just isn't up to the quality standards I expect when buying a premium format figure for $300. I mean, honestly, Sideshow usually knocks it out of the park. And this one was, you're right, it meets expectations. Well, although we expect so much more of Sideshow, so perhaps it's... It would meet expectations for other collectibles. Yeah. Whereas Sideshow, meeting expectations is a four or a five. So it's a little disappointing to see Sideshow deliver a three. But the longer I look at it, the more I'm realizing things I like. And it is a nice addition to my premium format collection. I am glad to have him. It's why I'm not returning him. But again, I know they can do better. And now before we end this week, I didn't realize till Marjorie said it. And then I saw it on a few websites. We're reaching an important milestone. Yes, we are. 10 years ago, Attack of the Clones opened. It did on the 15th Yep, of May of May. Yes. We're a couple weeks early on this and we'll get into why, but It's kind of funny for me to realize that we are so close to 10 years after that, and I have so many memories of that. Attack of the Clones was both the best time of my life and the worst time of my life for several reasons. I was out of work, and I'd been out of work for a while. The economy took a hit. Well, you just got your graduate degree. Yeah, I got my master's degree. The same month as Attack of the Clones opened is when I got my degree, and it was just a hard time to get work. Money was tight because we were living off your income. Yes, And I remember the midnight madness at Walmart. And it's like, you know, I'm not bringing in any income. I'm a poor student. I'm looking for work. I'm not going to go to midnight madness. We're just going to skip. I'm not going to do that. We ended up going. Yeah, we did. And spending $700. Yes. No one ever said we were smart. I think I just paid that off recently (laughs) when I got out of credit card debt thing. It was fun because they had the aisle roped off. We saw people we knew. Everyone helped each other. I will never forget. They had the tie bomber there, and that was a hard-to-get tie bomber. And there were three on the shelf. And your friend, when they 
opened the rope, walked in, and so smoothly, in one smooth motion, he was very tall and had very long arms, grabbed it off the bottom shelf, moved and handed one to us while mm-hmm. grabbing another for himself. And that was the only way we got one tie bomber that mm-hmm. night. Being out of work, I was far more restrained. 700 was very little to spend given all that they had out that night. Episode 2, the only movie to not have a dedicated figure line. That night, they had episode two figures but it was the saga collection and only the first couple waves were all episode two and then we'd start getting into the mixed ones remember the bloody hand luke versus the not Mm -hmm. bloody hand luke from that wave i just remember not reading the back of the cards because you didn't want to get any spoilers about the movies i do like to remain spoiler free about my movies I remember you were very upset and told me not to look at the Anakin figure because the Anakin figure told you something that yeah. would happen in the movie. And you knew from the figure that Anakin would lose an arm. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting there going, what's a Dexter Jetster? Yeah. And everybody was helping each other out. We're like, need a baby Boba. That's what everyone in the aisles was referring to him as was baby Boba. And he was a hard figure mm-hmm. to find that night. And Well, and then a few weeks later, which actually would be the... 10th anniversary this coming next week, and we went to Celebration 2. Our first celebration. We and it was me who convinced you to go. I wasn't really a con person. I'd gone to Wizard World a couple of times, but those were day trips. I went with a specific reason. We may wander up and down an aisle. I'd never gotten a hotel for a con before. I'd never gone to a con like that before. I'd never heard of the 501st. I'd had an online presence. I'd been in the R2's news forums and things like that, and really had some online friends. But I didn't know about the 501st, so when we walked up and the 501st were doing security, it was like going to Disney World. It was just so perfect. It it was great. Now, I do remember that at that time it was a little bit trying. Some of those guys let the authority go to their head. Not all of them are like that, but... I don't remember that from two. I remember that a lot more from three. Yeah, a lot from three, definitely. But we had a great time. It was our first convention together, our first big convention i think we had a blast we should have been planning something else at the time but we were out at celebration we went from like thursday through sunday i think it was only three days at that time i think we went friday saturday but i think sunday. we went up thursday night that's right we did and yeah we had a nice dinner before the con we weren't really sure what to expect Mm-mm. and it was kind of a magical thing they did the concert and we were able to yeah, get the tickets the symphony. for it. I just ended up being in the right place at the right time. Which turned <laughs> out to be the wrong place, but right for you. That's okay. It, it happened many times that weekend. They had this big long hallway in the Indianapolis Convention Center and I had gone to ask a question at the store because that's when they had the uh, George, George Sekouls. That's right. And we were getting some for my sister-in-law's brother because he was a young kid he went with some friends of his and their parents and he they only went for one day and they could not spend all day in the store so we picked up a school for him and he was like oh my god so excited but i happened to be there when they said all right lines open for star wars symphony i got right in line i was like 10th in line bought our tickets and it was magical it really was i wish they did things like that at celebration still because I don't give a rat's patootie about the Indiana Symphony Orchestra or whatever, but it was just great hearing it live, which is why Star Wars in Concert was so much fun. It was. That is a great experience. I'm glad they did Star Wars in Concert because I love the live Mm -hmm. music. What I remember about the George Sekul is I was so worried about getting tickets because Phantom Menace, remember, I sat out all night for tickets and had an umbrella and spent 24 hours on it. Tickets for Attack of the Clones were going on sale for... 
where we were going to be in New Orleans the day celebration opened. So we were in the store. I went to a, the store was a huge like hall and I went to a corner where nobody was because it was not where they were selling things. And I was using the phone. This was pre-internet phone day and ordering tickets for us on the phone to see the movie while you were up getting Sekuls and various other collectibles. Yeah, they actually had a good system at that store because they restricted access in. And then they had little U-shaped tables set up all along one wall where you could just go up to the table and tell them what you wanted. They'd run your credit card there and be done. But there were people abusing it because they'd go just take a step to the right. I need the two George Sequel that is the limit. Yeah. Take one more step to the right. I need the two George Sequel that are the limit. But it still was the fastest in and out of the store we'd ever had. It was. It was definitely. Spent a ton of money. Did I mention I was out of work? Yeah. Okay, just making sure I mentioned that. Yeah, that's when we first saw Master Replicas. (laughs) Yes, I remember they had on display the Han Blaster that now goes for crazy money, and the Darth Vader hilt, and the hero Return of the Jedi Luke Skywalker hilt with the gold, and that was the one I really wanted. I Again, I was out of work, but I was ready to throw down a credit card right there if I could walk out with it. I didn't understand the concept of a pre-order at that time. Well, and that exhibit floor was probably one of the best they've had, I think. Yeah, it was really good. Two and three were both very good. Lots of shopping, which is one of the things you want in the exhibit floor. But and it wasn't just like Hasbro was there and General Giant was there. It was vendors were there selling stuff. Didn't you get a bunch of B-Wings? That was three. Okay. But just fun stuff like that. It was great. There was a lot of little swag things. We're having a ball. I don't know. It was a really great time. Gentle Giant made their first appearance there as well. I remember going through and just thinking, wow, those look really bad without arms. Yeah, we skipped those. Remember we even saw them at Wizard World later in the year because that kind of caught a con bug there. And there was the fan club breakfast. (gasps) Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Those are always great. I wish they still did those. Did they have the silver figures back then? I think they might have started the silver figures around that time, too. Yeah, but that one it was the George Sekul. That's right. And then we were cringing as some little kid was opening his. Yes. And going, oh! The silver figures came later, but they were giving George Sekul's out yeah. at the breakfast. And yeah, kid opened his and played with the micro machine. A whole lot of fun. And the reason we shouldn't have gone... We were getting married the next weekend. And that was a big reason why I didn't want to go, is I'm like, we're going to be in crunch mode. It's the weekend before our wedding. But you were out of work, so you did all the wedding planning. Yeah, I know. I was quite good at it. Yes. We we didn't do a full-on Star Wars wedding. We didn't even know about the 501st. I don't know if if we'd known we might have gone further with it. We had Star Wars touches at our wedding where... The groomsmen dressed like Jedi and the that, That's a full-on Star Wars well, wedding. That's not touches. The whole thing was Star Wars music. And it was your idea. Everybody thinks it was my idea. It was your idea to have a Star Wars wedding. I hate weddings because they're usually pretty boring, I'll be honest. Ours was fun. Everyone had fun at our wedding. And one thing that you've said, which is true, is when we talk about your brother's wedding or we talk about our friend's wedding and all of this, what music did they play? What did they wear? What, you know, can you remember much about it? Our no. wedding, people will remember. Uh, people still talk about our wedding. We would recognize at the local Greek restaurant, someone who worked with you at the place where you were kind of doing some work had recognized you from being in the wedding. And Yeah, I was contracting a little. But, yeah. But getting a Star Wars wedding right before Attack of the Clones, we were in our local paper, which was then picked up 
by the AP Newswire. Your father was interviewed on radio stations, and he said that you always wanted to be the next Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Which is funny for so many reasons. Your father's a cute little man. But... We went on our honeymoon, which we weren't going to take. We weren't going to take a honeymoon. Did I mention I was out of work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because the honeymoon money went to the action figures in celebration, too. But at the last minute, we decided, my sister told me, if you don't go right after the wedding, it's not a honeymoon. It just becomes another vacation. And after all the stress of a wedding, you need to get away. And so we took a honeymoon. We drove to New Orleans. It was actually very reasonable. It was actually a lot of fun to drive. I kind of like road trips. I'd never taken 55 all the way down to New Orleans. Great scenery, great things. We did stop over in Grenada, Mississippi, and you found the remaining tie bombers at a Walmart. Cause the we only- stopped at every Walmart yeah. between here and New Orleans looking for tie bombers. We did. But it was funny because we started getting calls from my parents. You worked at a cell phone company, so we had cell phone service everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that was back before cell phones were cell phones. And... Radio stations were calling and wanting to interview us on their morning zoo shows and things. And so we kind of every morning had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning for East Coast radio stations. And we'd have like a series of phone calls every morning. But we were there. We saw the French Quarter. We had a good time. It was extraordinarily hot. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, yeah, this is when it's not so bad. I'm like, oh, oh my God, it's miserably hot and humid. But Attack of the Clones was opening on our honeymoon, and we were planned to go. We had tickets to a New Orleans theater, and then MSNBC called. They wanted us on television the day after Attack of the Clones opened. And so in addition to getting up early every morning for the radio, we then had to do MSNBC the morning after a midnight show of Attack of the Clones. And Attack of the Clones just was a disaster of a display. Here's what I was told. (laughs) We were brought into the theater and we thought, oh, great, they're seating us early because we got there real early because, again, Phantom Menace memories. And we were seated around 10 o'clock at night. Which was nice because, again, it was like hotter than you would not believe outside and humid and gross. And so we sit there for two hours. Nap. Napping a little. Eat too much of the concession stands because they keep playing the concession ads over and over and over. I've never been to that theater again. It's 10 years later. I still remember because they kept looping it. Chewy, salty, snappy, yummy. And it was just this, it was almost like a clockwork orange type torture to have to watch the concession stand ad again and again. But then 12 o'clock passes and the movie doesn't start. (laughs) 12.30 passes and the movie doesn't start. 1 o'clock. Now, I was worried about seating because there were a ton of people here. And what we were told was when one theater fills up, They're just going to keep putting people in the next one and the next one and the next one, and they're going to show it on however many screens they need to. Well, I was kind of curious how that happened. How many prints did they have? I was a film geek even back then. If the Star Wars wedding didn't give it away. (laughs) It turned out that they were threading one print through multiple projectors. And so it would go into one, and then as it was spooling out of a projector, they were trying to go into the next projector. That didn't work so well, and so they ended up not being able to do it. So our midnight showing of Attack of the Clones started around 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, that wasn't good. Not at all. So tired. I remember not really enjoying Attack of the Clones very much, that one, because I was just so tired and the movie was ending around 5 a.m. And it Attack of the Clones, I actually really like it, but it just was not ideal circumstances for watching the movie when you'd woke it up at 4 o'clock in the morning and the movie was going to end at 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. 
I remember, though, we said going in, no matter how this movie is, when we're on MSNBC, how was the movie? We loved it. Yes. <laughs> we had just, we were not going to go in and go, yeah, that whole Star Wars wedding thing, we kind of regret that now. If we'd known the movie was going to suck this badly, perhaps we wouldn't have done it. We, but it was good. We did enjoy the movie. We went back and saw it again once we were well rested. But that was 10 years ago, which those of you who have good math may have realized... Does that mean you're coming up on your 10th wedding anniversary? It does. You've put up with me for 10 years. I have. 12, actually, but 10 married. Yes. We've been married for 10 years as of the 11th of May. And so we're going to do something we've never done before and take two weeks off Star Wars Action News. And we're just not taking two weeks off. We're actually going to take a vacation that doesn't involve exclusives. It does involve Star Wars. But it doesn't involve exclusives. And it didn't intend to involve Star Wars. No, it just, it just turned out that wherever <laughs> we go, there's Star Wars. But that's okay. We're going to see some great people. We're going to see some friends we normally only see in San Diego. Yeah, and that's great because I'm not going to have a backpack on. In fact, I don't have to carry a backpack. I don't have to load up on water bottles and hand sanitizer. Well, okay, we'll take the hand sanitizer still. But I'm not going to have to worry about getting up at 4 a.m. to get in line for something at 6 a.m. Yeah, this is... Our first vacation vacation in a long time. So we are going to take two weeks off. There, This show's coming out a little bit later in the week to help bridge the gap. There won't be any show on May 7th. And then on May 14th, Dan and Jerry will be back with a show that they will host. And we know there's some great content for that. And then we will be back in three weeks. Yeah. So we hope that you enjoy your May the 4th. May the 4th be with you and understand we will be back doing the weekly show, but I think this break is much needed for us to go and actually have a vacation where I'm not going to take a laptop. I am not taking a computer on this trip. Mm-mm. But nope. I'm taking... Just cameras. And a smartphone and an iPad. Yeah. And a touchpad. Yeah. We're going to do some forced relaxation. We're going to the Great Northern Hotel from Twin Peaks. Yes. It's not called that, but we're going to have some fun. So we'll be back in a few weeks. And we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at swactionnews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. 
We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited. All rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. Through the design and sculpt process, our goal is to develop the best.